1: diving in the mailbag ryan we got a lot of good questions today and and from all different type of different topics and honestly not as many questions about the offensive coordinator hire so i'm hoping that maybe we've answered all of those questions so far who knows Uh, you just opened Uh, the
2: floodgates man i know i know but
1: here here we go from tyler binge he says uh, mailbag when there is a bad first round draft pick is it more on the scouting team or the gm this is
2: an interesting i'm curious to hear what you're going to say on this one I mean, it can be both, Tyler. It can be both. I mean, there could be a bad evaluation from a scouting staff, or, and more often than not, I'll say it like this: general managers don't always listen to the mm-hmm. scouting staff. Like I've taught, I talked about the Al Davis story. I think on this podcast yesterday, or t- where they, were, the whole scouting team was like, "We have a tradeback option." This is the Jamarcus Russell draft. They had a tradeback option where they probably could have gotten Adrian Peterson or Joe Thomas ended up in trading back and getting more draft capital. Al Davis completely overrided everyone and was like, nope, we're taking Jamarcus. That's my guy. That's the face of my franchise, right? So I think I've heard a lot more stories like that than I have vice versa, right? Wasn't it a similar story with the Mitch Trubisky
1: quarterback situation that the scouts were saying it's Mahomes, it's Deshaun Watson, but it's the
2: GM that fell in love with Trubisky? It happens all the time, man, because – Look, if you, you're you the top of the, you're top of the food chain, right, you're the general manager, you can choose to listen and to use all your resources wisely, or you can think that you know everything, right? And I think that there's some general managers that think that they know everything and they know more than the scout, scouts that they have in the, in Thor. I mean, I just heard one too, Brian. There was a Tutu Atwell was drafted by the Rams in the second round a couple years ago. Nobody on the scouting staff liked him. They had six round grades on him, but you know who liked him? The owner, the owner liked him. So we're going to draft him. Right? So a lot of those stories exist, Tyler. So I'll say that, but I'll say that this to be fair, there are some really bad evaluations by scouts that put you down the board. And that, that, that just does not do anything for anyone. Obviously that sabotage you from the first step, but I would say more, more times than people wouldn't want to admit it's usually the general managers and the higher-ups and decision makers that just do not listen to what their scouts think In my opinion,
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: And for the record, in two years, Tutu Atwell has eighteen catches and one touchdown in two years for a second round pick.
2: They could have had Creed Humphrey, man. Yeah. Could have had
1: Creed Humphrey, yeah. and it looks like he has trouble standing on the field, which shouldn't shock anyone who saw him. He was in the one he weighed in the one hundred forty pound range at the combine, correct? Wasn't he the one that was like one hundred forty something pounds? I'm pretty sure he
2: was. I, I think he was one forty something before the combine. They weighed in at yeah. like one fifty two or something like that. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's very it is, small. It's not good. It's no. not good. So
1: I laugh when I see him listed at like one sixty five. I'm like, yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever you say, fellas. Whatever you say. All right. So let's um, let's go to this next one. I I I, I do think it's it's um. It's an interesting dynamic because you want to listen to your football people, but at the same time, it, it's your butts on the line if the pick doesn't pan out. I mean, you, no. you're you're not going to well. It was this regional scout that told me this guy was really good, and and sorry that we missed on him. I mean, if the hits these picks don't pan out, it's the GM that gets fired. Yes, so you've got to make it. But I just feel like some of these guys think that they're football people and they're not. You know, like well, when it's not a shock that Jerry Jones, who I mean played Division One football, it's like he doesn't know football. But it's not a shock that when he was when other people were primarily making decisions, mainly Jimmy Johnson, that that team was winning and they haven't won since he left. Because well, Jerry Jones thinks he's a football guy, and he's yeah. not. Daniel Snyder thinks he's a football guy. He's not. Pat Bowlen knew he was a businessman. He let the football people make the football decisions with one exception, when Dan Reeves tried to trade John Elway. The so one <laughs> time Pat Bowlen said, uh-uh, not happening. But those, I think, are the best owners. The guy says, hey, look, I'm hiring you to do a job. Go do it. What do you need for me? Give me the. Tell me what you need resources wise, and we'll make it happen. But you're the football people. It's not a surprise that the teams winning championships are the ones whose owners run the
2: business and let the football people do the football. You, you know what the backwards part of NFL scouting is, Brian? Is that when a scout scouting is a young man's game? People act like it's this archaic old man game, right? No, it's a, it's a young man's game. Why? Because when a scout gets to a certain level, and you have to pay him more money you Don't re-up his contract. So then you bring in younger younger scouts that aren't as experienced that cost less money, right? So to your point, general managers, and I I, I can understand it for some. If you have a young staff that doesn't have any experience and you kind of question, you know, how good they are as far as their evaluations, why would I listen to them all the time, right? So it's very counterproductive to how people just fulfill scouting spots in general because i mean there's a lot of guys just come in and they'll get area scout jobs by the time they're like 25 26 and it's just like what is he proven that you know that but the 50 year old that demands more money we don't have time for that right it's it's all a money game man right all a
1: money game i have sat next to some scouts that are very good and i've sat next to some scouts who sat down for that game and had no clue who the players in the field were and it's just like you didn't do any work before this game he's like yeah i'm looking at Uh, uh, number seven, like (laughs) what, (laughs) like seriously. And then you'll see some of these guys go to these games and it's like, they're eating the whole time. They're like hardly paying attention. You're like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's not it. He's not it. Then you have the guys that are serious. They got their notepad. They got their binoculars. Like, okay, oh, yeah. this guy is doing, putting work in. He may not know what he's looking at, but he's at least putting work in, you know? Yep. So it is kind of interesting watching the different dynamics for that. And the good scouts will come up to people like us and ask us, hey, what, did you know this kid during recruiting? Yeah, I did. Well, what did you think of him? What kind of family he come from? I've had scouts come up to me and ask me those questions before. That's and a why guy doing wouldn't a job. you? Exactly. Why wouldn't you? That's
2: a resource. You're a resource exactly.
1: for that. Exactly. Yeah. And they're all right there in a room with you. So exactly. Uh, those those are the good, those are the good scouts, in my opinion. You have a couple of super chats here. One from Tyler Evans, Isaiah Foskey, and Michael Mayer. What NFL teams would they fit
2: perfectly with, Ryan? That one is all you. I mean, I think people I I, I it, people going to think it's a little bit of a cop out, right? But I think that Michael Mayer could fit any team. I really I don't think there's a limit to what Michael Mayer can do. I really don't, man. I mean, I, I've seen him I've seen him mocked to so many different teams at this point. I mean, I, I, I mocked him to the Lions and Lions fans lost their minds because like, why would we draft another tight end in the first round? Because he's a really good player. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Like, whatever. But I, I think that for me Michael Mayer is perfect in a system. I'm not directly answering this question, Tyler, because, you know, it would be lazy of me to pretend like I've watched every single offensive system in the NFL, in my opinion, right? But for teams that have really nice separators on the outside, guys that can push it vertically, if you are able to clear out and like Michael Mayer, just dominate the middle of the field, man, that's the system that I want him in. For Isaiah Foskey, I want him in a four-man front. I don't want to mess with him as a stand-up rusher. I want him in a four-man front and go that way, brother. I don't want you in space at all if I don't have to. I want to kind of unlock those things. So a four-man front for Isaiah Foskey, I mean, again, that could be Seattle Seahawks, Philadelphia Eagles. Like Philadelphia Eagles is actually a really interesting one because they've – they've done pretty well with guys that are similar profiles to him. Like Josh Sweat that came out of Florida state a few years ago, longer guy explosive, not incredibly flexible. Brandon Graham is a completely different body type. He's a sawed off like six, one and a half, 250 pound guy, but he's another guy. That's not a corner turner. He's a speed to power guy. So foot of Eagles is one that pops out Seattle Seahawks. I think like the Isaiah Foskey style, regardless, I want a four man front and I want to let Isaiah Foskey go.
1: I'm going to ask you a question. So, I'm praying that Sean Payton is the guy for the Broncos praying. Yes. I didn't hate the draft compensation. They gave up
0: yeah. relative wasn't to as, what it was. wasn't supposed,
1: as bad so, as you heard. Yeah, correct. They gave up the number 29 pick this year, which was like, okay, it sucks. And they gave up a third round pick. What next year? Yeah. Or no, a second round pick next year, but then got a third back. Next year. So basically, they swapped third, second, swap picks basically next year, essentially, for Sean Payton. I hope he turns out to be the guy. I always get nervous about guys that, that are that way. So, having said that, I couldn't tell you that I know enough about his offense to say what kind of tight ends he uses. But I also know that Greg Dulcich ain't the answer tight end for the Broncos. Could the Broncos be a team that could use a guy like Michael Mayer if they were picking in that? I'm just trying to get a sense for kind of like what what you think about that. Obviously, Denver's not going to be able to get there because they don't have that kind of pick. But what would you say? Like, let's say they traded back into the first round. You know, if he falls into the 20s, you know, what would you think about that one?
2: I I do think that Sean Payton's a really good guy, a really good offensive guy. So I think he could make it work. But, I mean, Brian, the history tells me it's not the greatest fit of all time just because you've seen – You've seen Jimmy Graham. You've seen Colby Fleener. Like they're more like the detached, like true, you know, they're they're the, the long, detached wide guys, kind of guys. Yeah. Okay, they can run fast in a straight line, and they have the incredible length to kind of separate. Okay. So, I mean, could could Michael Mayer still flourish in that offense? I think to a degree, but I don't know if that's the best possible fit for him personally. Okay,
1: I'm just curious. Thank you for answering that. I was I was very curious about that one. Here's the other question I have for you.
2: Yes, it,
1: by Isaiah Foskey. Yep. Does he need to be in a
2: three-four defense? Because I, 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 I really questioned
1: about whether or not he could
2: put his hand in the ground. I think I mean, you I, have to. I, I think you have to force the issue, man. Because in a three-four, he's going to get caught in space sometimes. Where I just don't want him there. Like I just don't. You know. So I, I mean, I think. I mean, in, ideally, I want Isaiah Foskey to fall in with a really good defensive line coach, and let's get you comfortable coming out of a three-point stance. Let's make that happen, man. Because. In a four-man front, it's a lot harder to get that guy stuck in space. In a three-four, I just have bad visions of in a certain, you know, a certain offensive structure where like are motioning a lot, maybe we're trading a ton, where Isaiah Fosky gets stuck, you know, dropping into coverage and and doing that. And Isaiah can do some of that stuff. Like we saw him at Syracuse run stride for stride with Sean Tucker down the field on a wheel route, right? Like he can do right. some of that stuff, but that's not what he's best at potentially like that's i think that that does hinder his development a little bit so i would like a four-man front again i i really hope he lands with a good defensive line coach because the crazy part about isaiah foskey is he left notre dame as the all-time leader in sacks at 26 and a half, but he's not near his ceiling man he's not even close so i hope he lands in a four-man front with a really good coach i really do he's just got to show that he can do it yeah that's the thing, and and I have some questions
1: about whether or not he can do that. So we'll find out. We'll find out. I got to think that's something team, that the, either the Combine or the Pro Day, some NFL team is going to say, I want to see you put your hand in the ground and come off the line. Sure. I'd be shocked if he gets through this draft process without someone making it put his hand in the ground.
2: You, you know, one, one three-man front that I actually think would be an interesting conversation for him as a 3-4 alignment is the Baltimore Ravens are okay. a team that has done a good job of Getting those longer, maybe stiffer defensive ends, explosive. I, I think of zadarius Smith. I think of Preston Smith. Even a um, Matt Judon that that's now with the New England Patriots. Yeah. Like they've done well with I those types of say power seattle
1: rushers. I thought you're going to say Seattle because Pete has that funky defense where I think a guy like that could maybe fit in a little bit. It's- I
2: did in the first part. Yeah, Seattle and, and the Philadelphia Eagles were the two teams yeah. that I okay. didn't mention, I'm sorry. But, yeah. I
1: was going through the questions. My bad. I you, weren't it. you weren't listening, man. I wasn't. I wasn't, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Ryan. Please forgive me. All right, let's get some more Super Chats. For Michael S., was Al Golden the top choice last year for defensive coordinator or were others initially preferred? I'll, I'll just say this. There were – I'm trying to remember there are, I think two candidates that Marcus Freeman made a run at before he kind of went through the process. There were two guys that he flat out reached out to and said, I'd love to hire you and they both said, no, they both were employed at other schools and it didn't work out. And then he went through the process and of the four that he really looked at the most, Al Golden was preferred amongst that group. Yes. But there was a couple candidates that that he really liked that he that were kind of before I begin this process if you're interested, this is going to be a much shorter process type right. of guys. And it's not that they weren't interested, but they just, they were at jobs that they liked a lot. So um, we'll, we'll see. I heard that Jim Leonard was one of those guys, by the way, that they reached out to and said, uh, you know, would you have any interest? And he said, no, I wonder if Jim Leonard's regretting that decision right about now, <laughs> maybe a little bit, yeah. maybe, a little. maybe a little. So yeah, that's the answer to that question. Uh, Let manager one with the super chat. Thank you very much, guys. Do you have any insight to what conversations look like in a case like Bronte Johnson, where the staff is deciding, arguing what his best position is? It's not an argument.
2: It's it's more
1: so about twofold things. Right. And number one is what are our needs in the class? Well, threefold. Number one is what position do we like him best at? That has to be discussed. Who has him graded at that position the highest? Now, of course, the offensive staff may say we like him best on offense and the defense but it's more so, okay, as a receiver, where is he on your board? Well, he's number five. Just I'm just hypothetically making, I'm not saying he is, I'm just making an argument. Okay. And they say, okay, well, safety, where do you guys see him as? He's number one guy on our board. Okay. we will recruit him as a safety. That's your internal conversation. And then there's the Trump card Bronte, what do you want to play? Hey, coach, I'm good. I'll play whatever, you know, I'll play wherever you guys need me. Then, okay, then we really like it safety. But if, you know, we, we'll recruit you as an athlete. Or he may say, hey, look, I really want to play receiver. And that was part of the issue that hurt Khalil Barnes last year. I think yeah. Notre Dame graded him out much higher as a defensive back than as a receiver, but he was dead set on wanting to play receiver. So then after a while, they just said, okay, we're going to move on because we like Caleb Smith more at receiver and we're going to get him and you don't want to play DB. We have a need at DB. You don't want to, you don't want to fill that role. All yeah. good. No ill will, no bad feelings. It's just, but we're not going to recruit you to, and I kind of respected it. We're not going to lie to you and say, because they could have just said, hey, man, we'll take his receiver. We were going to get five receivers anyway, all good, knowing you're going to move him to DB during his freshman year. Yep. They just chose to say, hey, look, this is what the kid wants to do. So respect, and then you move on. But it, th- those are the factors that go into it, Ryan.
2: Yeah, I, I think that the staff, because he is being targeted as a safety, obviously, we've talked about that. But I think they that have they been made- open to the idea of the other side of the ball. However, right. just to, but yes, safety yeah. is where they prefer. And, and I would just like to say that I think that that's a good evaluation. I do. I think Bronte fights the ball a little bit as an offensive player, but I think he has a high upside as a safety yes. athletically. Very high upside. He doesn't upside. catch the
1: ball real super clean. just
2: doesn't have great ball skills, yeah. man. Like, yeah. He just doesn't. It's just not a natural you know, catcher. I mean, It's on that's,
1: film, and I saw it last year at the at the Irish Invasion as well. He just isn't a supernatural pass catcher. He's got the length yes. you and the speed you want as a receiver. Oh. He doesn't catch the ball real well, to no. be honest with
2: you. And that tells me to get that six three frame playing safety where you can use them in so many different variety. Like, because again, like a safety, if you're a really good safety, you're going to intercept what three to four passes a year most likely. That's kind of the number, right? I mean, Bronte will be able to do that stuff. It's just I don't want him consistently catching the football all the time. I want to use that length though and that explosiveness and the different. Like he's going to play short zone for me. He's going to play some on on the roof a little bit. He's going to move around a ton if he's a safety at Notre Dame. Like. He's got a huge upside in that department. In my, I know I he doesn't do I, it a just, lot now, but yeah. I
1: actually like him playing over the top. I, yeah. I, the, that range, I think that's obviously not, like I said, it's not where he's used a ton in high school, but but the potential, like I saw it at Irish Invasion, he's a super rangy guy that can play side to side as a deep middle safety. So I do he's, think he has the tools. And he certainly has the body of a yes. free safety in that type of yeah. defense because he is long 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 and rangy and if you ever
2: watch him play basketball you're like this kid's got suddenness to him yes he's a really good basketball player as well and as he fills out man i think that he is the perfect modern safety where he can just do a little bit of everything like i think he's got tremendous upside really he does i mean because here's the thing when he
1: stops playing basketball full-time he's gonna gad 15 pounds like that i mean he's 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 skinny but he's not thin does that make sense right so he's not like this like really narrow like carson hobbs is kind of narrow he's filled out he's athletic but he's really narrow bronte has a narrow middle section but he's actually got decent like shoulders like he's got some some width to him right where and then you look at him like this kid's going to fill out pretty well once he stops playing basketball full-time and like i said he's a really good basketball i mean if he wanted to go to college and play basketball i don't know if it's at the division one level but he could I mean, certainly at some of the schools I've been at, he could go play basketball and he's a really yeah. good basketball player, but football's without question, his best sport, in my opinion. And once he settles in on just being a football player, that's the other thing, his game is going to take off big time because hey. he just hasn't, He and I'm fine with it. I'm a, I'm a yeah. multi-sport proponent, right? Mm-hmm. I I want kids to play multi-sports. I don't need you to be a proven like ready-made product when you get to high school. I think there's a lot of merit emotionally, mentally, athletically, in a lot of different ways for kids playing multiple sports in high school. I'm a big, I'm always in favor of that. But you also have to live with the fact that guys like that that play certain sports, basketball being one for football players, that they're going to have a little bit more of a, a need to fill out and do some other things because of that. Kyle Rudolph is a perfect example. Kyle Rudolph was really thin in high school, and he had trouble putting weight on because then he'd put weight on, and then he'd go play basketball season, and the weight would come right off. Yeah. But you could just look at Kyle Rudolph in high school and say, when that kid stops playing basketball, he's going to blow up. And he did. He was 250, 260 pounds in the NFL, right? And I think Bronte's not that, but he's sure. he's going to be 200 pounds when it's, I mean, when it's all said and done. He's got that right. really nice frame, even though he's
2: really skinny now. But there's a lot of tools there to work with. No question about it. There, there's some impressive basketball players on the safety board, by the way, man. Yes. Like Bronte, Ricardo Jones out of Georgia. is He's a, got like, some hops. He's like I an mean, 18, 19 point per game
0: guy. And he in can basketball.
2: shoot. Yeah, because yeah. he, he'll put some of his highlights up on Twitter, and you're like, this kid's got some game. And I know I know, Mike Matthews is obviously wants to play wide receiver, but if we count him on the safety board too, Mike oh Matthews is a
1: baller, man. You know, he's look, baller. I get it.
2: Most of these kids, like Aaron,
1: what's the kid from California, Aaron? Um, Butler. Aaron Butler. He's convinced okay. himself he's a receiver. I'm like, bro, there's a lot of receivers like you. Same with Travis Hunter. There's a lot of receivers like you. A lot. There's not many corners like you. I I get it. They want the ball, especially in the NIL era. The guys want the ball. I want the ball. I want everybody look at me. Give me the ball. And a cornerback is doing his best, is, is at his best when the ball never comes his direction. Right? I get it. That's the world we live in. But I want to say to some of these kids, there's not a lot of guys on defense that look and move like you do. You could be a star there. You're just, you're a good player at receiver. You're one of many guys like you at receiver. You're a unicorn at corner. And, but these kids just don't get it. But, and that's how I feel about Bronte. Bronte could play receiver and he'd be a solid receiver, but he could be a really good safety when it's all said and done, especially once he starts playing football. And that's how I feel about Mike Matthews. Yeah. Mike Matthews would be a really good high school or college receiver, but he could be a special, special defensive back if he wanted to.
2: Yeah, I mean I think I think he's still, you know, like to your point, right? I think wide receiver wise, he's still a very good player in the 2024 class. But I think that Mike Matthews could have some argument, Brian, if you were looking at him just as a safety as one of the top three or four players in the class. Like he's yeah. that special he's a top opinion, ten player.
1: Man. If if I knew that Mike Matthews wanted to stay on defense, he's a top ten national player for me. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. As a receiver, he's a top fifty guy for me. It just that, you know, that's just how I feel. So yeah, we'll we'll kind of see how it we'll see how it goes. But good good super chats there. We appreciate that. Um let's see here. Justin Jordan Schreiber says, Brian, did you hear how Kevin Austin did on the practice squad this year for the
2: Jaguars? I, I have not, Jordan, but I could find that out for you. Okay. So if on the next show, if you just want to put the same question back in, I will have some intel into how Kevin did. I hope he did well. I hope so. This is a question for you, Ryan, from also from Jordan. Yeah. He says, Had you had mentioned about Quentin,
1: he's talking about you, because I never mentioned yeah. that uh because i don't follow the nfl uh you had mentioned about quentin nelson taking a step back and needed to get back on track for the hall of fame can you delve more into that what's happening is he just league average worst etc well real quick uh and hall of fame is the elite of the elite and ryan and i hold a very similar view of that Mm -hmm. that you can't just be really good you have to be elite so saying he's not playing at a hall of fame level it's not saying he's league average or worse at this point in time. I just want to make sure we're clear. But, Ryan, you have said he struggles. so why don't you go ahead and yeah. answer the question.
2: Yeah, he, he struggled this year especially. Last year he had some struggles as well. And I would say this, Jordan, the, the Hall of Fame conversation for me, at the end of the day, if Quentin Nelson just coasts on his name for the rest of his career and makes more and more Pro Bowls, right, like he'll probably get any other way, right? I mean, because that will be kind of the hardware conversation. Quentin has not been as good the last two years. And I think there's some conversation too. You know, just his play needs to get a little bit more back on track because, I mean, his first couple of years, man, he looked like he was going to be the best guard in the NFL. Like he would have been like him and Zach Martin are the best guards in the NFL for the next X amount of years. Like those are the guys until Zach Martin retires. The- exactly. And Qu- so Quinton got off to his fast start. I think the last couple of years, a lot of it has to do with the team not being nearly as good a- around him, because at the end of the day, Quinton is a guard. Where he had Ryan Kelly next to him, he had Anthony Costano next Costanzo next to him. He had Andrew Luck early, you know, early in his career at at quarterback. Right, the quarterback carousel has not helped. I think that offense in general, in my opinion, I also think that Anthony Costanzo had to retire at left tackle. They have kind of a revolving door at left tackle currently, right now. And I think that sometimes what's around you can really hurt offensive linemen. You know, that that guards
1: and centers because you're always. Tackles can play on an island to a, a, a lot, a lot to, yep. to a large degree. Guards cannot. You're yep. always dependent on what's happening
2: next to you. 100%. Yep. Absolutely. And, yes. and I, I, so I, I would say that I don't think it's completely Quentin Nelson's fault. I don't think it is. And I think he, I mean, he still has time, man. What's he like, 26? Like he's still a young cat, man. Right. He has all the tools. I mean, he, dude, is just massive, powerful good athlete like he has all those tools right so he can get back on track i just the last two years have not been nearly as good as the first couple that's just where we are right now And you are correct he, he is 20 back.
1: he is 26 yeah i'll say he's, this he's a Ryan. young
2: rookie right he's a really young rookie if i remember yeah because he's
1: what uh he his rookie year was what 2018 yeah so if he was 26 25 24 20 you know what 21 22 when Somewhere he came park yeah yeah and he was a four-year player too which is yeah, yeah. Yep. Here's what I'll say about Quentin as well. Yep. Quentin is a, a guy that likes to win and, and really does not like failure. And I have to think, and this is just a pure speculation on my part, but just knowing Quentin the way that I, that I, that I did during his time here, not personally know him, but just know of him and how he works. It's He's probably putting a little bit extra burden on himself too because of what's around him is so bad. And, you know, you can't do that as a lineman. You have to be able to just do your job and do it really well. And I think there's a, like because if you're if you're thinking like I, I was told that you mentioned I think he got blown up a few more times this year, if you're having to think about what's next to you and you're going against a big time defensive lineman that's over 300 pounds, you're more prone to get your butt whooped. But when I can trust my center my tackle to do their job and my job is just kick your butt within the framework of what I know is happening, then you're going to kick butt. But when you're thinking about what's happening around you, it's I mean we've talked about this like a linebacker. I think that's something to that hurt JD Bertrand this year. You know I I think it's why. It's why, you know, we, you and I have talked about why Drew White's worst year at Notre Dame was 2020 because he was constantly worried about Shane Simon doing his job in 2019. When he had Osmar next to him, he was pretty good 2021. Uh, when there was a little bit more kind of certainty because JD Bertrand was next to him, Drew could just kind of go do his job and he, you saw the best version of Drew White 2020, we did not because I think he was worried about JD this year with Maris. I think JD's one of the issues JD had is he always felt like he had to kind of compensate for. What was next to him? Hey, is he going to do his job? I got to make sure I'm getting you lined up, and then oh shoot, the ball's being snapped. So that that's a big thing for some positions. At at boundary receiver, yeah, you got to know what routes are being run. You're just not there winging it, but you're still kind of out there on an island. You know, when when you're in you're a corner, you've got to know the coverage, but it's just you. You're this is your job. You do your job. You're not. It doesn't affect you as much when other people don't do theirs as much. Right. So
2: uh, there, there are definitely more. That there are definitely more dependent positions for success, right? I mean, the quarterback, offensive line, defensive line to a degree, although you can argue that, you know, if you get a one-on-one, that's a mono-e-mono type of thing, linebacker you just mentioned. I would say safety is another one where it's like if a safety needs to trust what's in front of him, he needs to trust what's off the side of him, he needs to trust the guy next to him, right? So I think there definitely are more dependent positions for for how successful a player could be.
1: There's a super chat that I'm going to get to, Ryan, because I need to think about it. Go look at that super chat and see it because it's something that needs to spend a couple seconds on that we'll get Uh to here in a minute. Uh, Just thinking about who that might be. Rob Osgood with a super with a a question. Guys, in your opinion, what is the timeline on Notre Dame picking a new O.C.? I would imagine that that you're going to see Coach Freeman in the next couple of days start to zero in on a, a few candidates, three to four guys. To bring in for interviews, I, I think that that the, the what this last few days has been about, Ryan, is just looking at okay, who are we? Who are we processing? Who are we looking at? Who has interest? Uh, he, hey, I, I I really like this guy, but as I talk to him, I realize it's just not a fit. Hey, I really like this guy. You talk to him. Hey, I think this might be something, and he says, Hey, by the way, I want to bring in my own offensive line, running backs, and receivers coach. All right, hey man, best of luck to you wherever you are. I mean, so there's all that process that that goes through this. Sometimes you may say, hey, I love this guy as a coach, but that system – and this is my issue with Sean Lewis, right, from Kent State. He, he he comes from the Dino Baber school. It's a pure spread. The guy's got some – the more film I watch, I'm like, boy, this guy's really smart. Bad fit at Notre Dame. You'd have to completely overhaul what you've recruited and what you're doing now as an offensive staff to play to him. I don't know how well what Harry Heastan does fits with Sean Lewis. So if there's somebody at Notre Dame pushing for Sean Lewis – it's probably not a good idea, right? Because the fit's not there. That guy's a really good offensive mind. And I think it's a home run higher for Colorado. I don't know if it's the same home run for Notre Dame because of the fit. And those are things that all are a part of the process. And so I think they're kind of getting through that if they're not already through that. And I think now you're going to start seeing Coach Freeman say, okay, let's see who we're going to bring in now. So I would imagine, I'll be shocked, Ryan, if we don't at least know who it is in the next two weeks. At the latest. Now, it may not be announced by then because we all know Notre Dame's process takes some time, but we'll know who that's going to be within the next week to two weeks, would be my guess based on things that I'm hearing. And I think we'll start to hear some names being kind of thrown around, you know, maybe this weekend, depending on, you know, who who has the loosest lips in the goog. And there's a lot of people (laughs) with loose lips at the goog that just like to be sources so hey which you know doesn't doesn't hurt me but sometimes you just wish like guys just shut it <laughs> but uh i think we'll start to hear some stuff here pretty soon let's let's go to the next one here ryan uh from rob osgood guys in your opinion with the 24 class with the mass offers going out first of all they have not it's not a mass offers they have not offered that many guys uh it's it to to, to say that but it is it is a lot more than normal do you think notre dame is going to attack early like last year or do you think they will save a few spots towards the end
2: it's a good one ryan I think they're. I mean, they're definitely going to be more deliberate towards players making the process, like working the process, right? Taking those visits. Don't commit until you're 100%, man. Like that's where it comes down to, right? I mean, we've talked, we've heard about the the official visit, you know, restrictions that Notre Dame has, but I think that this year, especially, you're going to see guys that, you know, Notre, I, I'm sure that there's going to be a couple guys that you know maybe want to go public, but Notre Dame's going to have a truthful conversation of like, awesome, we will love to have you. But make sure you're ready. You know, make sure you're done with this process. I well, think that we, that's, we've
1: already seen that. We know yeah. of a couple guys that silently committed that wanted to, to to go public, but the staff was like, "You still want to take visits? Yes, make I do. Make sure you're.
2: Make sure you're then, done. No, we're not yeah.
1: taking your commitment until you Absolutely. do that. So I think that's one of the people ask about the lessons that they've learned. I think that's the lessons that I think that this staff has learned, in my opinion, yeah. based on how things went last year. I so. And, and also, again, right now, it is not guaranteed to be a, as big of a class as last year, or at least because, again, people say, well, they only got 24 this year. Yeah, I get that, but they wanted more. They uh, they attacked the class with the thought of 26, 27, maybe even 28, and obviously fell short of that, which allowed them to take in a few more transfers than maybe they otherwise would have. Yeah. So uh, I think this class is, is, is looking to be under 25 as of now. That may change, but you have to, you have to go about it early a little bit different. I also think that, this is also, this right here is my opinion. This is not something that I've been told. I think the fact that at some positions, there's just not, it's not a great class on what is known. It's it's forcing them, not forcing them, they're, they're choosing to say, let's not push for this guy. There's some safeties, for example, that were ranked as, you know, like four-star guys that Notre Dame could already have in the class right now. But they're just solid players. And the staff's like, no, 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 we don't want to take those guys right now. Let's keep looking. Let's keep let's keep searching. And 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 that's led them to some offers that, you know, to Melo Jones, for example. Right. So I think they're choosing not to take commitments from guys that they know they can get right now because they're just not view those guys right now as, OK, this guy's not moving the needle right now. And we want to get some guys with some really high ceilings. So I think in a couple of positions, there's that as well, Ryan, which is a reason why you're seeing some offers go out. And in other instances, there's also a game involved in it, Rob. Yeah. And that is we have a guy that's a silent commit or is close to committing that wants to let the process play out. So we're going to let him know that's fine, but we're not waiting around for you. Yeah. And if you want to be in this class, you better step up and get it over with sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you may find yourself without a spot. And then sometimes so, that's playing the game and other times that's legitimate because you're not good enough to, to hold down a spot if
2: you're not already in the class. So there's a lot of different reasons for it. I think you're also, you know, it's a big evaluation period too happening right now, right? Like leading into the spring and summer visits and into the senior year, like you're still evaluating a lot of different players. And I think that, you know, there's one – there's an offensive lineman in particular that we know for sure Notre Dame could have had if they wanted to, right? But he ends up at a different school because – Notre Dame did not quite have him to that level of a degree, even though the recruiting services. I don't
1: think that's yeah. anything of a
2: secret. Right. Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to. I just don't want to throw shade at Ian Moore, but like Ian Moore's the kid's going to Ohio kid. State. He's yeah. good, right? He's good and it's not that Notre Dame thought he sucked. It's
1: just in his year, we're going to have a smaller class. He's just doesn't fit what we're looking for
2: at this point. There's just other guys on the board that they are a little bit higher on than Ian Moore. And, and I, and I tell you, I mean, I've talked to Ian Moore a bunch, obviously when, when Notre Dame was recruiting him a little bit, when he went on campus, all that type of stuff, Ian Moore loved Notre Dame. If they would have offered him and he would have been a take, I think he would be in the class right now. It's just my opinion. Right. But they weren't incredibly high on him and Ohio state was. So he ends up at Ohio state and, I mean, there's no shame in being a top hundred player at, at Ohio State, right? Correct. It's pretty dang good. Right. So, yeah, was listen- not, not that yeah.
1: far from home, right? Exactly. So that's all good. It's not that far from home. It's not like he had to go really far away uh, or or take a step down. He's going to Ohio State. He'll be all right. Yeah. Yep. He'll he'll be all right. But yeah, that's um that's uh that's kind of how those things go. But that's a good example, Ryan. It, it's not yeah. that not even think he's a good football player. They recruited him. as a good football player. It's just. Came down to off, and and the reason they didn't offer him is because they knew he'd commit or felt at least felt strongly he would commit, and that's why they had to choose to go in a different direction. So, I'm going to bring the super chat up now, okay? Because I I think I've had a chance to look at a little bit. Tyler Evans says the most overrated number one
2: recruit coming out of high school since 2000.
1: And good, right?
2: One of the first guys that I found, and I haven't gotten through every single year, but. Ronald Powell's one that popped up for me, 2010 for 247. Very talented player, but obviously he never had the career at Florida that he was projected to have. So that was one quick guy because, I mean, honestly, the number one players from at least the years that I've looked at so far – weren't too bad. I mean, you looked at, I saw Janavion Clowney. I saw Joe McKnight. W- like, there were quick, some what cool do you, what players. do you wonder
1: what resource? Are, Cause first of all, okay, I was on two, four, seven Of the composite. Is it the overall, is it one service? Whatever the case may be. It just depends. Yeah. For example, if we're just going to look at one service, the bit, most overrated number one recruit I've ever seen is Antonio. It was recently. It was Antonio Alfano. Ooh. The kid from Jersey that two, four, seven had to rank number one, but he wasn't number one on their composite list. Um, And so the, the thing for me, the way I look at it Is I don't I don't if you're a bust, but I didn't think you were. I had a buddy of mine. Here's an example, buddy of mine and I were talking yesterday. Yeah. And he was getting on the staff for not offering the Nick Herbert kid out of Hawaii in 2020. They took his teammate, Jordan Patelho, and he was like, you know, they should. I said, let me I said, you never said that to me in 2020. You never mentioned that they made a mistake, they should have gone out. You never mentioned that to me, not one time. You said you liked the pickup for Wisconsin, but you never said Notre Dame made a mistake by not going after that kid. So you can't come back and tell me now that they made a mistake because they made the same mistake you did. Number one, I said. Number two, Nick Herbig is not Nick Herbig if he'd have come to Notre Dame because he'd be sitting behind behind Isaiah Fosky his entire career, so he wouldn't be who he is. He'd be a lot like what Jordan Petaho is, a guy that's flashed in a limited role and that you're excited about being the number one guy now. Right now, they have a little bit off the fields, a little bit different. So I try to look at it. It's uh, if I felt that about you at the time. Not so much that you busted later, and and so so that's kind of the way that I personally looked at it. And there's a couple guys to me that that fit that mold, at least over the last 15 years, uh, 2015. And I'm going off the composite list. Uh, 2015, Trenton Thompson was ranked as the number one player. I thought he was vastly overrated. I thought he was a good top hundred player. He ended up being a, a solid player at 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 Georgia, but was never never anything special. I think he went undrafted. That didn't surprise me. I thought he was very, very overrated coming out of high school. Uh, I mentioned the Antonio Alfano kid who was ranked that high from 247 Sports. couple guys, another guys that I thought were a little bit overrated coming out of high school that were number ones is recently in 2021. Um, I thought that Quinn Ewers was not the number one player in his class, and then they reclassified him and still had him as the number one player. Ryan, you know this. I've always said this. Quinn Ewers is a good talent but they make way more out of him than they should have way more out of him than they should have. And he was never this generational, like he throws it really well at combines and in camps, but he was never an elite football player. And that's a little bit what's going on with Dylan Rayola, to be completely honest with you. Dylan Rayola has really ridiculous physical talent. He's not an elite quarterback right now. He's not, he's a really, he's a good one, but he's not a great, Quarterback right now on the same level that some other people are, so and that's how Quinn Ewers is. And honestly, a lot of my overrateds are are, uh, are that kind of guy. Matt Barkley in 08 I thought was a, a talented quarterback on a great high school team. Never thought he was the number one player in that class. I never thought he was a wow. This is a generation. And if you're going to be the number one ranked recruit, you need to be pretty flipping special. So those are some of the ones for me, Ryan. That that in my time of covering recruiting, I'm trying to keep it more so to when like I covered recruiting. Ronald Powell being an interesting one. I thought Ronald Powell was a top 25 player, though. You know, he was pretty good. I just, he, he had some attitude issues. Yeah. That was more his issue than anything else. So
2: I, I can never personally say anything bad about Antonio Alfano, who's a former Notre Dame, a former New Jersey player.
1: You got it. Yeah. Your, your static picked up. So you got to, you know, it just kicked in. Uh, so, yeah, Antonio Alfano, that's an interesting one. I'll give Ryan a chance to speak to that one when he gets back. But that was that was one that that is a prime example of the Alabama overrating. Uh, now, I don't know what – I'm going to look at what his composite was here real quick. I, I'm not quite sure what his composite ranking was and what everybody else thought he was. I don't think anyone else thought as highly of him. But I'm going to look at his, his overall ranking. I, I know on three had him as the number one – or two, four, seven had him as the number one player in the country. And I'm trying to see what everybody else had him as. Give me one second. Rivals had him. Where did rivals have him coming out? Let's see here. They had him ranked number five overall. And then ESPN had him ranked number 28. I thought he was a borderline top 100 player. And he was a guy that I thought was super, super overrated. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he he picked Alabama. I, I really think that's where it came from. So, um, I mean, let me look at this ranking history here real quick of him and because this will this will tell us a lot. So he was when did he commit to Alabama? He committed to Alabama on May of 2018. So in uh let's go down here in in May of 2018 he was ranked as the number 124 player in the country Antonio Alfano was by rivals. He was 117 before uh and then and then he comes out his senior year and miraculously Jumps all the way up to the number five overall player in the country. What changed? Committed to Alabama. That's literally all that changed was that right there. Uh, the rest of it didn't really change. I'm going to go see what his, his uh, ranking history was at, at uh, for 247. When he committed to Alabama, he was ranked as the number 45 player in the country, and he stayed 45 until the season started. Then all of a sudden in November, he jumps up to number eight and then jumps up to number one. Based on what I can assure you from looking at his film, it didn't get any different than what it was before. He was never that good, he jumped up because he went to Bama, and now he is just not playing. I mean, he got kicked out of Alabama pretty early, he then got kicked out of Colorado. He's been a mess, he's really been a mess. So, I mean, that's I mean, when when Jaden Osbury committed Notre Dame, he was like a top 30 player. When Drake Bone committed Notre Dame, he's a top 30 player. But remember, at the time, Drake Bowen wasn't leaning towards Notre Dame early. A lot of people thought he's going to go to maybe Clemson or Auburn or Alabama if Alabama offered. And then he commits Notre Dame, and phew, ranking goes down, despite him being a better football player as a senior. Jaden Osbury is another example. His ranking plummeted after he com- right after he committed Notre Dame. I think two, on three, dropped him 100 spots in the very next ranking, if I remember correctly. Based on what? Over the summer. Remember that? He went to that uh, event in Florida. And everyone that I read, like, oh, number one linebacker at this event. And then next ranking, 100 spots lower because he just committed another name. So, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's how I view that one, Ryan. So those are some of those guys. But Antonio Alfano, to me, is is the worst of all of them. But that was just 247 alone had him that high, that number one. I'd probably say Trenton Trenton Thompson and Quinn Ewers are probably the two most. Matt Barkley's in that conversation for me as well. Did you ever see Matt Barkley? Matt Barkley in high school, Ryan? Probably yeah, moderate,
2: modern day, modern yeah. day. Yeah, he was a good
1: player. He just was a part of a really good program. That's really what it boiled down to.
2: That was a great
1: program. So, yeah, like people say, well, he's a bust in height college. No, I think that's exactly what he should have been in college. You and had It's a really good mis- in college, right? He did. He put up some good numbers there. You're you had the you made the mistake, not Matt Barkley. So don't right. punish Matt Barkley because you made a bad evaluation matt Bartley, matt barkley to me was a good college quarterback for what his talent level was he was he was a fourth round draft pick threw for over three thousand yards a couple times threw 39 touchdowns 36 touchdowns but he could never live up to that number one overall player ranking same thing with jimmy clausen right like j- jimmy just could never live up to that ranking different reasons but i think that's kind of how i look at some of that stuff Ryan. Just yeah my two cents good question I, I-
2: I, I was just gonna say before my audio did not cooperate that I could never say anything ne- negative about Antonio Alfano, former New Jersey great. So I mean you gotta at least be honest enough. Oh no, he's bad. more the Jersey guy to say that's I, a I bad mean, ranking. I don't even know if I could ever even say he's bad. I never saw him play <laughs> on a yeah. college level, you know? Like yeah. such well, one so self saying, like, Did you
1: think he should have been a, a number one top didn't, ten I,
2: player? I did not I don't really watch him. I don't know. Yeah, that's my thing. Really I mean, sometimes
1: out. guys don't pan out, but man, they were great high school. Players. Like I've said this, Ronald Curry did not pan out, but Ronald Curry is still the best high school quarterback I've ever seen. Yeah. In, in on film or in person. And I'm talking from Jimmy Clausen and on is when I started watching, really watching film. So like from seeing him in high school with my own eyes and then just kind of going through this. I, I mean, Look, why did people not know who Michael Vick was? Because they were in the same league and yeah. it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. Go ask anyone that watched him play against Deep Creek and Deion Dyer in the playoffs, and they'll tell you. that's. I watched him with my my own eyes. I'm in the stadium watching him play in the playoffs against Deep Creek. He had three passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, a pick six for a touchdown, and a punt return for a touchdown. Like He was insane. He was insane. Now, I never saw Allen Iverson in high school, other than just some brief clips here and there. Yeah, But he's still, to this day, the best high school quarterback I've ever seen. And if he wouldn't have tried to play basketball and would have gone some, somewhere other than North Carolina, I think he'd have been a, a very, very, very high NFL draft pick, in my opinion. I really do.
2: Alan Iverson was silly, man. Like the highlights yeah. I've seen of him play. Like, he had like I think it's senior year, he was like the all-state quarterback and he had like nine yeah. interceptions on defense or something. It yeah, was he wild, was man. he was
1: unreal. He was unreal. Yeah. This is an interesting one. Anthony Bell says, I'm I'm gonna take this one on just because it was a, it's a unique and you get credit for being unique, Anthony. If tomorrow I B became a tabloid magazine, we aren't and never will be we will grant the premise and you had to come up with the absolute juiciest rumor for the Notre Dame offensive coordinator opening opening no matter how far-fetched what would you come up with for me I think this one's kind of easy if if we were a tabloid and all we cared about was clicks and creating uh driving traffic no matter how absurd and driving ice or you know because again that's what a tabloid is to me this is an easy one for me, Ryan. It's Brady Quinn. I'm selling the heck out of, I'm hearing that Brady Quinn's going to be the candidate. And and every time he'd come out and say den- he'd deny it, i said, say, yeah, he's just saying that publicly because he's in their Fox contract and he can't really actually say that. But trust me, I've talked to some people. He's interested. Like I would be, de- now this is all false, 100% false. This isn't reality before someone runs like, Driscoll said say that you know, Brady Quinn's going to be the ghost of you at Notre Dame. He has context. That's not what I'm saying. I'm making this up. <laughs> If we were like the you know Nat, what's it? What's the one that they you see at the grocery stores? What's it called? Uh, National Inquirer. Bingo. Yeah, I would be selling the heck out of Brady Quinn to Notre Dame rumors if we were a tabloid. I Notre Dame fans would be losing their
2: minds, man. They I couldn't think of mind. a juicier
1: rumor to start than
2: that one. I really couldn't. <sighs> what would what would yours
1: be? What would yours be, Ryan?
2: That's a good one. I didn't even think about Brady Quinn. I was thinking like something like stupidly like doesn't make any sense like Jim Harbaugh is going to be the offensive coordinator <laughs> of
1: <Notre Dame. laughs> he said no matter how far-fetched uh yeah, yeah. I, you know if just trying to think of one that you could even somewhat believe is plausible yeah that would be it for me uh or and if and if I decided not to do that one because I was afraid that Brady Quinn might come into South Bend which he does often oh, and like kind of ball one? me no pretzel and like you know beat the crap
2: out of me for making that rumor I'd go Jimmy yeah. Clawson Oh, you know, it'd be another funny one. And if people, but the national media would like eat this one up. Not so much Notre Dame fans. Chris Sims, offensive coordinator, oh, Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
1: I've been feeling well today. That's what that involves. He only recruits left-handed
2: Sorry. quarterbacks. And yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. That, that would be interesting. But yeah, if I was going to turn into a tabloid and just start making stuff up, Brady Quinn would be the one that I would go with. Yeah. Yep. That would, or somebody just said this one. This would be an interesting one from Sparky two five one nine. Urban Meyer, yeah, that would be a that would be quite the rumor. Yeah. That would be quite the rumor. Yeah, so that someone said Andy Reid <laughs> is Andy coaching the Super
2: Bowl right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Here,
1: here's one from Michael Hughes. Driscoll just said he wants Jeff Quinn as OC. <laughs> now, see, here's the thing. If I started leaking that in a tabloid fashion people would eat that up because they would know that I'm not doing that, pushing my own agenda. Right. Or at least they would think that, Hey, he's not putting, he hates Jeff Quinn. I don't hate Jeff Quinn. I actually respect Jeff Quinn quite a bit as a human being. I just think he's a terrible football coach, but if I really wanted to drive clicks, Brady Quinn's number one, but if I was afraid of Brady Quinn beating me up for spreading <laughs> that rumor, Jeff Quinn might be a good number two. Cause people would eat that up. Cause they would think there's no way Driscoll makes that up. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no way he makes it up for how he, how hard he was on Jeff Quinn. That would, uh, to your point, that would make Notre Dame fans lose their minds in a bad way, but it would make a lot of money. There's no doubt about that. Sure would. Sadly, that crap sells. That's why there are there is that. Like I look at like Popper, I'm like, why do these people do what they do? Because people are willing to pay a lot of money for them to be that kind of scumbag person that follows celebrities around and takes pictures inappropriately and do all that. I mean, there's there's money in
0: that. Yep.
1: you know. Sadly,
0: you ready? Showtime. Learn more at marines.com.
1: Uh, Milton fan. Says, Brian, can you do that voice again? No, I'm not. You say, you do said. Milton
2: fan, were you on the show yesterday? <laughs> Brian said you have to pay him a lot more than $2. To, right.
1: <laughs> I gave you a freebie on that one since it wasn't a real one. And I was m- mocking. He offered $2. Like, I'm going to do that for $2. Come exactly. on, Milton fan. Give me a break, man. You got to give me a little more credit he's, than that. He's,
2: Brian, Brian's not a cheap date, man. Come on. Yes.
1: And here's one. Uh, this just in. E.J. Holland has been offered an entertainment <laughs> <seat> position. <laughs> Talking about finding the least qualified person on the planet.
2: That does sound um, like something that E.J. Holland would actually spread, though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very, very, very true very true all right let's get to the next one before this goes too far off the rails um tyler erig says what is the go-to stress eating or drinking
2: option during a game i don't really eat that much or drink that much during a game now that i think about nachos is
1: kind of mine i don't really stress eat or drink when i when i'm stressed i don't i can't eat like i just can't eat but i would say like my nervous tick is nachos i'll have two i'll have either nachos and cheese i'll make around halftime but then
2: i just kind of nibble on nachos with salsa throughout the game i mean i do like i mean like i like when we have people over for games and like we'll do like pizza and wings and stuff like that like that works for me you know like that works but
1: angela makes a really good uh bean burrito i mean Mm -hmm. a a, a bean dip for games so we're actually gonna have like a little fun just she and i kind of a little super bowl party make some fun snacks she makes a really good bean dip i would never had it before and i didn't think i was gonna like it but she made it one time for my players yeah and i was like that's probably not a good thing to have make for them for the game but they loved it and so i was like i'll try it i was like this is really good but uh that's usually those are usually my go-to. but it's not i don't do it as a stress related thing i do it um yeah yeah so and
2: i i I do not drink alcohol typically during games believe it or not i know people like put like scotch in there like i think i feel like i'm like um have you ever seen braveheart brian Mm-hmm. where dude. where William Wallace is like, I need, I need my wits. Like I need my wits while I watch games, man. I can't, can't dilute it. Sure. That's <laughs> my
1: favorite part is people who drink during games and then want to argue after the game about yeah. something that they saw. During. I'm like, dude, you were seeing triple at the time. I don't want to hear your opinion on that. Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's get to some more. Um, here question. David Lowe, I've heard people talking about the OC at Colorado. I think his name is Sean Lewis and I and, and him running air raid. Would you all like to see that offense and their name especially with how talented our backs are? He's not I don't view him as an air raid coach, Ryan. I yeah. view him as more of he's, a
2: he's a college spread.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, I get where they say air raid because he he comes from Dino, but Dino's not an I wouldn't call Dino an air raid guy either. Now, their lineage can be traced back to air raid principles. I mean, Art Browse is kind of an air raid guy, but not really. You know, it's more of a, a college spread is kind of how I would say him. But, no, I, I I wouldn't want to see that off. Now, look, could that offense work? In time, maybe. But I just don't think you're maximizing your tight ends, your offensive line, and your running backs the way that you can running that kind of offense. I just I don't.
2: When you when you're running like a spread or an air raid, because I'll kind of put them together for a second. It, I mean, why did Mike Leach it, like become the big air raid guys? Because he could recruit wide receivers and get decent enough quarterbacks, but his offensive line wasn't very good. That's why the splits were always so massive, right? Like, I, I think that for me, that doesn't parlay into what Notre Dame has structurally as an offense. Like, your offensive line's your best part. Why would I want to take it, that? that downhill style away from them. Why would I want to sacrifice my running backs getting downhill? Like Aldrich estimate in a college spread or air raid for what reason? Like you're just basically taking one of your best offensive players and making him obsolete in the offense that you're running. So yeah, no, I, I, that's not the, not the bag. I want to see, I want to see diversity on an offense, right? Like I want to see, be able to do multiple things, but I don't want to see Aldrich estimate in a, Spread or an air raid, it's just not what I was. I don't even want to see Logan Diggs in a spread and air raid. Like he could do it more than estimate, but like I don't want to see that either. I I just don't.
1: It's harder to win up front all the time. In that, in my opinion, it is you. You're winning because of what you have on the perimeter and a quarterback. And I think it almost it almost his offense to me seems to borderline require a quarterback that can run. And I don't, I don't necessarily want that. I, if you have that, great. I don't want to have to have that for your offense to be successful, in my opinion. Broke neck boy, would the 2012-13 Georgia team beat Notre Dame the same way Bama if they won the SEC title game? I don't think so. They they didn't match. Look, first of all, that Notre Dame Bama that was a bad day. Alabama was the better team. That was a bad day. Yep. Notre Dame had a bad game. It happens. If TCU and Georgia play again a week later, it's not sixty-five to seven. Georgia still win? Yeah, probably still win. Probably still win comfortably, but it's not sixty-five to seven. That's the thing that's you know, it's a, it was a bad day. The twenty twelve Georgia team that was Aaron Murray at quarterback that was a very good team, almost beat Bama. You know, had that ball that got tipped at the at the end of the game. Uh, you know, oh, and going. then the
2: receiver and then the receiver caught it. And I'm like, why did you catch it? Just yeah. knock it to the ground. You're not in the end yeah. zone. <laughs> so.
1: This is a very good team, but Notre Dame would have
2: matched up a lot better against that team
1: than the Alabama team. Because the the reason is, is Alabama was great at what Notre Dame was also great at. And because Notre Dame was off their game that day, Alabama ripped them up. I and mean, that's yes. what it boils down to. So I, I think it would have been – would they have won? I don't know. I don't know. But it would have been a much more competitive game. And I, I there's There's also a lot of roster. stuff going on with the Manti stuff was starting to break. The players were starting to find yeah. out about it and – they were a distracted team. Yep. They were a very distracted team. You need to find out the roster of who of who. That Georgia team in 2012? Yeah, I want to look that roster. you're talking about? Yeah. Well, they had, uh, they had Aaron Murray was their quarterback. Uh, yep. Their leading Todd Gurley and Keith Marshall were their two running backs. They were pretty Ooh. good. Yes. Uh, receiving core they had Tavares King, Malcolm Mitchell, Marlon Brown. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, yep. They had Arthur Lynch at tight end. Uh, defensively, Alec Ogletree was on that team. Sean Williams, Ooh. Jarvis Jones, Bakari Rambo uh Garrison Smith was a really highly ranked guy. Uh, Armo uh, uh Damian Swan, Michael Gilliard, John Jenkins, Christian uh Robertson, those were some of the guys on that team. So That's It's a
2: very good team. John, John Jenkins was like the 360 pound nose tackle, right? That was Jenkins I, I think. I
1: believe so, yeah.
2: Yeah, I believe yeah. so.
1: Yeah, that was a very good Bama team. I mean South Carolina. And look, and and they lost what 32, let me see, 32-28 going in for yeah. the game winning score. That team lost at South Carolina that year 35-7. Right. They were, they had a bad day. It just, it happens. Right. It happens. If they play again, that probably doesn't happen. Right. So it is, it is kind of, um, I'm not going to lie. I I enjoyed when Seapsburg was at South Carolina. I did. I, it was just nice seeing a, another non-traditional SEC team do really well that was fun to see for sure for sure let's work through as many as we can Ryan because I know we got to wrap up here really soon here's a draft one for you from John a one which player projected to be a day two or three pick would you predict to be an impact player on the next level I say Um, how about this Ryan yeah Uh, because I'm assuming your answer is no one
2: Wait, why? Oh, are we just talking about? Well, I was going to ask if we talking about Notre Dame specific, or am I talking about over encompassing drafts? It's a good you know? question. Like that's, he could let's yeah. let's.
1: So if it's Notre Dame, it's no one. So let's go a different angle. It's anyone that you think may be a day or two, three pick that you think could go into the next level and be, in a, and and try not to avoid a guy that's picked thirty fourth, <laughs> you know. But maybe maybe go like if you're not in the top forty or fifty, a guy that could maybe go out and be be that guy at the next level.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love these types of questions because honestly, like, I mean, you could all all, honestly, John, you could list a position for me and I'd be like, that's a guy I like in the the day two, day three range. I think a guy, though, for me, that one that like popped out instantly that we actually talked about yesterday a little bit, Brian, I think Deuce Vaughn is not going to get picked super high because he's a outlier from a size perspective. I mean, he's gonna be five, 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 six, 180 pound running back. But I think my guy is going to be a really, really good secondary option out of a backfield, working in the passing game, returning punts, maybe even a little bit being kind of that change of pace back in the backfield. I think Deuce Vaughn's a guy that like, I look at him just like that dude could be very good in that role. Like a very good football player. I think defensive end is also a position that is like incredibly deep this year. I don't think that the high level talent is incredible after Will Anderson or a miles Murphy. But I think when you're working, it's like the day two, day three conversation. You're going to be talking about guys like Derek Hall from Auburn, who I still really like, even though I don't think he had a great senior bowl, but he's a really strong power converter, has really violent hands. He's a guy that's probably going to go more in the third to fourth round ballpark, but he's a guy that I really like a ton. But Deuce Vaughn is the number one. I'm just like, that guy's not going to get drafted high because he does not fit the profile of an NFL running back, but that kid's dynamic, dynamic player in space. Yeah. Uh, real quick
1: question down here from Anthony uh, Scalia. He says, "Actually, is it Scalia or Scalia? He says, do you think Justin Scott is really interested in Notre Dame? Absolutely. No doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's very interested in Notre Dame. No question. Here's here's one, Ryan, uh, from Shamrock Sean. All, also, what is the weakest group or rooms from a depth chart for 2023 for Notre Dame? I, I, would, I would say, I don't want to say weakest because I don't think Notre Dame is, I think they're top 10. They don't have a weak position what, what are the questions? I'll say this. What are the rooms that I'm most concerned about or yeah. I would say have the biggest question marks for me, it's linebacker on defense and, and safety on defense and then tight end on offense, just because of the injuries on a tight end, you know, Eli Raritan is coming back from an injury. You know, you've got, you've got Mitchell Evans is ready to step up. What's he going to be? You got to hold the States. But then after that, it's, some guys have been dealing – Bauman's got an injury issue. Eli Reardon's got an injury issue. So those – the combination of you've got some big shoes to fill plus the injuries. If everybody's healthy, I'm not worried about tight end. So, again, it's not that it's a weakness. It's just a question mark. Are they going to be healthy? Yep. You know, are, are they going to be able to kind of step up and be difference makers or just kind of role players? I'd say that's the biggest question mark I have there. And then safety and linebacker are my two options. There. I, I would say right now I, I think the talent at linebacker is better but I have questions about its development and who will play. Yeah.
2: I, I, I agree hundred percent on tight ends. I think that the, it's the injuries, right? The injuries and then can Mitchell Evans be the guy, right? I think he could be a very good player in that room, but can he be the guy? But I think interior defensive line is one for me, Brian, that, I mean, I just think, if Riley Mills is a really good player inside, then my opinion will change a little bit. I just need to see what impact he could have on the interior because I just don't think there's a ton of proven depth on the interior defensive line right now. You know, like I think Gabriel Rubel could be a good player. Sure. Like I know that Howard cross in a situational in a situational role could be a good player, but I just think that you're missing out on depth, especially at nose tackle inside. And I think that that worries me a little bit. And you talk about the development of linebacker. I also have some questions about development at the defensive line position as well. So edges, I'm actually, I'm pretty excited about the viper position. I'm excited about Javante John Jean- Baptiste to be in the room. I, I think that the defensive end position will be good. I just and interior means non lock
1: can stay as a backup. Exactly. And, and that's a, that's where he needs to be. Nathan yeah. Nathan Milton, formerly known as Milton Fan Fifteen, says, uh, "Love the picks with your kids in it too, man. I love that stuff. Any twenty twenty, any twenty four recruits on the board, you have high level of confidence in their name gets a commitment from." I mean, Bryce Young is one. Yes. I think I think that's certainly one. Yeah. Um I think Gearby Lambert is still one that I have a relatively high confidence on but again the longer it goes off the, the on the it's still very early but it, you know if yeah. it drags out too long then you get a little bit a little bit nervous. I think those are the first two that kind of pop kind of come off to me as as one I I feel the highest confidence in right now if I had to pick two.
2: Yeah. I, one guy that popped in my mind, but again, it's kind of a, more of a wait and see just the transition period that's happening right now is Peyton Pierce. I still like Notre Dame's chances a lot. With I would have said P-Pierce, that two just, weeks ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, not now. Bronte Johnson, if, if everything clears through the admissions process, that's one I feel very good about as well. I feel
2: Notre Dame's yep. in a great position with Bronte at this point Bronte's a really good one. Bronte's yep. a really good one. Yeah.
1: Yep. Nick McGrail, uh, with the question, Ryan, what teams do you see as a good? Actually, we kind of already asked that one, so I apologize, yeah. Nick. We did answer that one, a, a similar version of that earlier. Here's a quick one from Archer: Is Notre Dame looking at a second tight end for 24? Are they just sticking with Larson given the current numbers in the room? Definitely looking for a second tight yes. end in next yes. year's class because we, yeah, the transfer saying wrong made that. Yeah,
2: sorry, Ryan, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. I was just going to say, we already talked about the injuries and then I was going to mention Kane Barang obviously yeah. being out of the room. So that they have Jack Larson, second one. Yeah, exactly. They have Jack Larson. They really love Jack Larson, but they have a three, three man tight end group right now that they're trying to get in with. Obviously the Carter Nelson out of Nebraska, Walter Matthews out of Georgia and Jaden Riddell out of Missouri. So another game is definitely in the bulk, definitely in the, in the market for a second tight end in the class. Yeah.
1: Let's get to the next a couple more here, real quick as we get out of here, Ryan. Jared Rhodes with the with what seems to be elite recruiters at position coaches on offense, how important is the OC's ability to recruit? If Marcus Freeman um, and position coaches leave a big impression, what does OC really matter? It matters a ton. Because you, number one, he's got to be the closer, Ryan. That's really what it comes down to. You've got to be involved. There's got to be a relationship there. You've got to be able to sell your vision for how that kid fits into what you do. Do you need to be the grinder that's every single day to calling these kids? No, you don't. You can be the guy that comes in and sells your vision and closes. That's perfectly fine. He doesn't have to be a grinder, especially if he's successful. If it's a guy with a big reputation that can work, like Joe Brady doesn't, if he were just hypothetically, if you were the guy, he doesn't need to be a daily grinder because he's just going to you know, sh- be in Zoom meetings with that big national championship ring just like that and remind <laughs> people about the numbers his team put up in 2019. And, you know, you're, you're, it sells. And then if you continue a product somewhat remotely similar to Notre Dame, it sells. So as long as the product is, is big time, you just have to be able to, to sit down with each kid and and sort of develop some level of, hey, I know that guy knows me. He likes me and he's is how he sees me fitting into the system. That's really all you need to do and then help close. So to your point, Jared, they don't it matters that a lot in that regard. Do they have to be the individual grinders? It depends. Are you coaching a position? You better be pretty flipping good at recruiting your position. And that's the issue we're seeing with Al Golden. Al Golden doesn't need to be involved with every single kid the way Marcus Freeman was. That's just who Marcus Freeman is. But you got to be involved with more kids, and
2: you better be able to recruit your position. Especially linebackers, yeah. I was going to say linebackers. Like You should hear his name with every single person. I shouldn't be hearing James Laurinaitis' name more than Al Golden's from linebacker recruiting. I mean, that's part of the job, man. It's part of the job. And then you have to be the closer for other positions, right? It's like... The Jay Nosberry thing last year, I felt like he was the closer for Jay Nosberry when I'm like, shouldn't he be the leadoff man for Jay Nosberry? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. Right. Let's
1: get to this last couple. we got three more real fast. We're going to get to one here. Uh, Archer says, there's starting to be a little smoke around o- Ohio State and Julian Sand. Which offense do you think he is better fit in, Ohio State's or Tommy Reese's? I don't think he's a great fit in either, but I think I'd probably say Ohio State. State yeah, yeah agree. quick game, so, get the ball out quickly, RPO, little, little, stuff like that. A little more yeah. spread disciplines in the yeah. offense, yeah, yeah, for sure. Agree, agree. Uh, and I wonder if that's maybe why he's not looking, because Tom Reese passed on him once, and now he's going to play for him. So they've already had a tight end decommitment. Did you see that? A kid that Yeah, Martav- Martavius Collins, mm-hmm. yeah. That was yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah. Archer asked a draft question, Ryan. If Carolina doesn't land a top two quarterback in the draft, would Derek Carr be a good option for 2023?
2: Depends what you have to give up for, man. Like, that's what comes down. I think what I read
1: today that it's a
2: third-round pick right now is basically the asking price for that. That's fine. That's fine, then. Because, I mean, honestly, it. I I I think of it as, like, what's the compensation for the same position, right? So if I'm giving up a third-round pick for Derek Carr, is there a guarantee that I'm going to get a third-round quarterback that's better than Derek Carr? Like, I I don't think that it is, right? So if that's the bridge, makes a little sense to me, Archer. It does. If if I have to give up a first or second rounder, though, like, count me out. Like, nah, I'm good, man. I'd rather just – Run it back with Sam Darnold for another year and stink and get a high pick next year. You know, like that's just kind of my thought yeah. process. Agree. Uh, here we go. Somebody,
1: uh, Tyler asked real quick. Uh, he says, "I tried. I wanted to ask this yesterday. And couldn't make the show. Who's a former player that you would like to see coming as a GA or analyst and that could have an impact? I mean, it's it's an easy one. It'll probably never happen, but it's an easy one for me it's Manti. Manti. I'd to Manti. I love see Manti come back. That'd be that'd yep. be my." my perfect one, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, right. Last question, Ryan, here is uh, a good one to end.
2: This one right here is uh, from USMA 87. What are your Super Bowl picks? I live right outside of Philadelphia and I dislike the Philadelphia Eagles, but I have to pick the Eagles, man. I just have, because I, you want to stay married. Is that no, not, not not, not okay. that because it, it won't affect my marriage at all. Okay, I just, your wife
1: doesn't care if you pick against them. Okay. Cause she's an Eagle fan, right?
2: Yes. Okay. I, I would love to pick Patrick Mahomes cause he is, the best in the game, in my opinion, right now. But I look at the Eagles roster. I look at the Chiefs roster. I'm just like the Eagles are just a better team, man. Like they just are. So if, if the game becomes a, a back and forth one where the final possession wins the game, give me the Chiefs in that one. But I sure. think that the, I think that the Eagles do have a chance to win this game. Like 31. So You're basically 29. John L
1: weighing it, basically. Whereas yep. you, you know the Broncos were never in those Super Bowls, but you always felt like if they were able to stay in those games and he gets Get a the shot. ball last, and they've got a shot to win. 100. I kind of felt like the Bengals game. Like the Bengals, to me, are the better team, but the problem is that you gave Pat Mahomes a chance at the end, Patrick Mahomes a chance in the, the game to win it, and he won it. And you yeah. know Elway doesn't lose those very much, and Mahomes isn't either. I, don't, I couldn't tell you what the matchups are, Ryan. You know, I watch the playoffs, and that's it. I don't study yeah. the teams. I don't know the matchups. I'm not making a prediction. I'll just say I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I know that says a I'm lot to be a Broncos the fan, well. yeah. but I can't stand the Philadelphia teams, mainly because of a lot of Philadelphia fans. I know they're not all that way, and there's some in the chat, but they're just, I just, I can't. There's just some cities I just can't root for their sports teams. And Philadelphia is one of those. They're very abrasive. very abrasive, very yeah. abrasive fan
2: base, no doubt. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I, I don't know if they got a better team or not. I have no clue. It's a lot. I don't watch NFL. It's a lot. Deeper but than I just, shows. and their coach drives me nuts. I just, I nick just sirianni it's got a very punchable face you know, know, that's much not much a very nice much. thing to say but it's not a very punchable face uh, uh, so anyway that's good. <laughs> that's how we're ending the show with me saying nick sirianni has a punchable face <laughs> okay whatever um anyway that's going to do it for today's show everybody thank you all so much for being with us uh we'll be back tomorrow obviously well tonight we have an ib nation sports talk they'll have vince and sean styers will have their mailbag Tomorrow we'll have our show at uh, 1 o'clock, and then Ryan, you'll have another show that will go live at 8 o'clock tomorrow. Well, not live. We'll publish at 8 o'clock tomorrow. I don't think your show's going to be live tomorrow. Uh, we'll have that going on tomorrow. So Ryan will have part two of his draft show that is now a n- regular Thursday night feature of Irish Breakdown, or the excuse me, CFB Nation channel. So definitely want to check that out. Make sure you're subscribed to the CFB Nation YouTube page. It won't come up on the podcast app until Friday morning. It'll go up on YouTube on Thursday night. So that's why you need to be subscribed there. So that you'll definitely want to check that out. And of course, Ryan, check out the message board, sign up boards at You will enjoy it. Uh, and so we got to run for Ryan. I'm Brian. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Thank you all for, for being with us today. Thanks for your patience for our, patience for our late, late start and uh, just for your loyalty and being with us for, for as long as you guys have been with us. You guys are a great, great group and we very, very much appreciate you. So yes, Milton fan, I am skipping your other super chat. $4, also not enough for me to give you my grandpa voice you can always go back and rewind it buddy and listen to it again <laughs> appreciate you man everybody have a great rest of your day we'll talk to you again soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast